Reading is from John chapter 11, beginning at verse 45. John 11, 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, today I want you to consider the danger of belief. When you believe something that most don't, that will often put you in danger. As a police officer, when you believe there is corruption within the police force and start speaking about your belief, that will land you in a world of trouble. When you believe that your company is falsifying reports that go to bodies of oversight or government, and you speak about that conviction, you'll find that you had less friends than you thought you had. I wonder if you've ever considered what the danger of your belief in Jesus is. Uh, Perhaps you're here watching and not a believer in Jesus. I'm so glad you're watching. Before you decide to live with Jesus as the highest authority in life, the one you think of first before you make any decision of significance, I imagine you want to consider the potential difficulties that might arise. That's the danger of belief. That's what we'll be considering today. In our passage today, I want to focus on two areas of danger. Firstly, the area of uh, the danger of Jerusalem for Jesus. And then secondly, the danger of Jesus for Jerusalem. 
In both situations, we see the danger of acting on belief, acting on conviction. So let's start with the danger of Jerusalem for Jesus. In the passage that we looked at last week, where we saw Jesus resuscitating Lazarus with just a word, in my rush to get to that moment, we actually skipped over the concern of the disciples. See, Lazarus's sisters have asked Jesus to come to their brother and his friend in the town of Bethany. Uh, Bethany is on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Now, the disciples were worried about heading back to Jerusalem because they know what happened last time they were there. Uh, have a look there in uh, chapter 11, verse 7 and 8. Uh, they are the disciples. Then, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But, Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? They make a fair point. It's not as if it happened chapters and chapters and chapters ago. In our pew Bibles here, it happens on the same page in the previous chapter. See, uh, you can see it there in chapter 10. Jesus is being pressured on his identity as Messiah uh, that God the Father sent into the world. And, and Jesus uh, won't come out and say it. Instead, he points to his works, his miracles, his signs, which shine a light on his identity. Pick it up with me at 10.32 there. Uh, Jesus asked them, uh, have I shown you, uh, have I, uh, sorry, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Because all along, Jesus uh, says he's working closely with his father who sent him. Jesus has said that he's the bread of life in chapter 6. He said he's the light of the world in 8. He said he's the good shepherd in 10 who lays down his life for the sheep. And what he said about himself, he's also backed up with signs, miracles, wonders. Uh, and Jesus is asking, what more do you need from me? Uh, if you go back to verse 24, you, you pick up the conversation there. The Jews who were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Down in verse 31, again, uh, the Jew, uh, again his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Jesus is saying, every one of my other six signs was to point you towards the glory of God in sending me. And of course, uh, we, we've seen this play out in the raising of Lazarus last week, where, where God in Jesus has brought not just a sick man, but a dead man back to life and health. Uh, resulting from it, both you see belief and unbelief. And so the disciples are seeing things accurately here. Jerusalem is a dangerous place to be for Jesus. And yes, he was almost target practice for rock throwers there. And the risk of death is a real and present danger in returning to Jerusalem for Jesus. All the disciples see this. Only one is putting up his hand to get amongst it. You see, our friend Thomas uh, wants to get amongst it in chapter 11, verse 16. It says, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. Now, of course, Jesus is not stupid. He sees the threat too. And unsurprisingly, he's less threatened by the prospect of death than they are. Listen to how Jesus counsels his disciples. Chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daytime will not stumble, 
for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus uses an illustration of the limitation of time. He speaks about the limitation of 12 hours of light in a day, as if to say the light of this world has limited time. So let the light shine before darkness comes and light is no more. That is, let's show God's glory in the limited time we've got before it's too late. This is an idea that we've kept coming back to in the book of John. Uh, the idea starts in the very beginning, in the very first chapter. Uh, chapter 1 verse 4 says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. Down in verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Before we go on, I want to just stop and appreciate what Jesus is doing here. Please do admire the faithfulness of Jesus here as he commits to heading into a, the dangerous arena that Jerusalem represents. I know it feels like it's ages till the cross in the Gospel of John. I know it feels like we're only in chapter 11, the cross is ages down the track. But the reality is this is about Jesus heading into the surrounds of Jerusalem for the very last time. Uh, Jesus is about to celebrate his last Passover so that we can celebrate our first Easter. He's heading into Jerusalem where he will be struck with worse than stones that his disciples are warning him about. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. He's read the prophecies. He knows he's going to be struck and spat at and punched and slapped and pierced. Yet Lazarus is sick and there's an opportunity to inspire belief which brings the glory of God. And so faithful Jesus heads to Bethany around the corner from Jerusalem. Now, once in Jerusalem, we see that at the end of chapter 11, Jesus ducks and weaves so that the timing of his death is spot on. He does that not because he's scared, but so that he can be the Passover lamb of God at the end of the festival, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. But brothers and sisters, please don't miss the faithfulness of Jesus here, going to dangerous Jerusalem. So the first thing we see here is the danger of Jerusalem for Jesus. He knows the danger and he faithfully takes it on. May we be as committed to faithfulness as he was and he is. Now, secondly, in this passage, we're going to see the danger of Jesus to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is a dangerous place for Jesus because Jesus is a dangerous person for Jerusalem. Uh, we reflected on Martha's belief last week. And many followed her in believing in the one who raises the dead. But belief wasn't the only response to Jesus' signs, his wonders, his, or his works. Unbelief followed too. And we've seen the sin of unbelief before in John. And here we see it again. For the Jerusalem officials, unbelief turns into an issue of threat management. Pick it up with me here in chapter 11, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. 
And here is the threat or the danger of belief. Here is the risk to be managed. The Jerusalem heavies say it in verse 48. They say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. The heavies of Jerusalem fought like cats and dogs. The Pharisees accused the Sadducees of unbelief and collaboration with the Romans. The Sadducees accused the Pharisees of being fundamentalist. The chief priests, members of that political class of, uh, of heavies, eyed each other with mistrust as they vied for the one office of high priest, which was the, about the only role of power available to Jewish people under Roman occupation. And yet these enemies are called together for a parliament that they call the Sanhedrin, which literally means sitting together, which is about the last thing enemies want to do. But here's the surprise. The 71 members of this bitterly divided parliament could agree on this one thing. Jesus was a threat. More particularly, that people believing Jesus was a threat. They saw it as a threat to the temple and the nation, but that's not exactly what they said, is it? This belief in Jesus is a threat to our temple. It's a threat to our nation. They could see that their interests were totally compromised by people coming to a belief in Jesus. And of course, they're right, aren't they? A belief is a threat to existing authority. Perhaps you haven't considered this before about belief, but when you believe in Jesus, you are saying, Jesus you are my king. The result of this is that having Jesus as your king means all other authorities over you shift down a peg. Your boss, your parents, your government, your family, all those in your life who exert authority move down one seat at the table because Jesus is now at their head. When my boss asks me to do something that is at odds with what Jesus asked me, who wins? Well, Jesus does. When my government asks me to do something that is different to what Jesus asked me, who wins? Well, Jesus wins. Now, I'm keeping it simplistic here. I know this is a complex area requiring wisdom, but I'm just trying to demonstrate how the nature of belief in Jesus is inseparable from your relationships of authority. I'll come back to tease this out later for ourselves. But for now, I just want to recognize that Jesus is a danger to those heavies in Jerusalem. That is the nature of belief in Jesus. So Jesus, uh, so the Jerusalem heavies, in seeking to protect uh, their position uh, in the temple and the nation, they're right to see Jesus as a threat. Now, of course, it's an expression of their unbelief. You notice they didn't call it God's temple. They didn't call it God's nation, did they? In their unbelief and in their position of authority, Jesus is a threat. Belief in Jesus rightly threatens other authorities. So in their unbelief, they agree on this. But they can't think what to do about it until the high priest of the day takes his stand and calls them all incompetent. I mean, after all, that's a great way to start a speech, isn't it? Have a look there, verse 49. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. So here is a solution to the threat that they agree on. Probably not a surprise to Bible readers. The solution, 
the death of Jesus. And what's more surprising is that in chapter 12, verse 10, they also plan for the same fate for Lazarus. Such is the threat that a living man who was once dead presents. Get rid of Jesus, get rid of Lazarus, and then we'll just look the other way and pretend nothing happened. That's the plan. Now, there seems to be a broad agreement to this solution, as verse 53 indicates. However, one of the things I love about the Gospel of John is that the writer often just takes a moment to make sure that we've, as the readers, we don't miss the really important details. And that's what happens here. We find out that the high priest's solution was actually an inspired solution. It was inspired by God through prophecy. Have a look at that. Verse 51. He, being the high priest, uh, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Now, clearly the high priest understood the prophecy for the death of Jesus. He gets that. But he misunderstands the death of Jesus as a solution to protecting the temple and protecting the nation. He understands the prophecy, but not its application. See, the high priest fears for the destruction of the temple. But he doesn't realize that Jesus is the temple, the only temple that counts, the the temple that is going to be destroyed in death and raised up on the third day. The high priest fears for the destruction of the people, but in his unbelief, He doesn't recognize that Jesus is the good shepherd promised in Ezekiel who will die for the sheep and the one who will gather into one, not just the dispersed nation of Israel, but all out of the nations who who through him are called children of God. As you hear that, you might again be reminded of the very start of the book of John, John 1, ringing in your ears. Uh, As to Jesus' purpose, uh, John 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not out of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Now, the high priest didn't see that coming, did he? Uh, Interestingly, also, the, the high priest is the one who, according to the Old Testament law, must alone enter the holy place in the temple once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. And yet in his unbelief, this high priest condemns Jesus to death, not recognizing that in doing this, he's actually facilitating atonement for all the children of God, not just the Jewish believers, but when Jesus will be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, the the high priest has prophesied correctly about Jesus' death. But in his unbelief, he's so far from understanding the significance of his prophecy. That is the problem of unbelief. It's interesting, the believer has so much to gain here. Having Jesus as our temple where we meet God. Having Jesus as our good shepherd who died for us, that we might go free. Having Jesus as our atoning sacrifice so that all of our offences, all of our sins, all the things that we've done that we shouldn't have done, all the things that we haven't done but should have done, all of those things are paid in full by the once and for all sacrifice, his death, at the hands of those who didn't believe, those who saw him as a threat, a risk, a danger, 
for the sake of the temple and the people. The difference between belief and unbelief just could not be more stark. The great threat of unbelief is that none of what Jesus has done is for you. And yes, Jesus is a threat to authority. Yes, Jesus does take the highest position in a believer's life. But he is a good shepherd who lovingly leads. When you understand and believe what uh, what, what Jesus is doing here, it's life-changing. It changes everything. In the hymn we sung earlier, uh, we sing, uh, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Oh, your, your belief in Jesus is dangerous because it has implications for all areas of your life. My, my soul, my life, my all. As you believe these life-changing truths, you're joining a long line of people who have believed God before you. Uh, Hebrews 11 shows the great cloud of witnesses of those who have believed before us. A- and it shows also the dangerous nature of this belief. Uh, their belief led them to do things under the same authority that others weren't doing. Uh, Moses, parents hiding a baby in a river for the sake of the prospering of God's people. Uh, Moses himself, who was prepared to be mistreated by authority along with the people of God rather than enjoying the good life. Rahab, who went along with the leaders of Jericho for the sake of rescue of the people of God. Each person of faith in that list in Hebrews 11, each believer bears the cost of faith because faith is dangerous. So the Jerusalem authorities are right to see belief in Jesus as dangerous to their authority because it is. Uh, And Jesus and the disciples were right to think of Jerusalem as dangerous because it was. Yet faithfully, Jesus headed into Jerusalem knowing what was to come. Friends, let me lead us in prayer. Uh, Father, we do thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus. We thank you for the faithfulness of those who have gone before us, showing us the way of faith, the way of belief, as well as showing us the cost of belief. Father, help us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Help us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at your right hand. Jesus endured such opposition from sinners. Help us to be like him. Help us not to grow weary. Help us not to lose heart as we await his return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's now sing of his return. See him coming.